You're listening to Marketing and Mocktails with Manal Sampat, a previously recorded Facebook Live episode inside the group Marketing and Mocktails with Manal, where dental professionals discuss, share, and learn about dental marketing. Manal Sampat is an entrepreneur, speaker, healthcare provider, and enthusiastic shoe lover. She's been featured in the Huffington Post, Dentistry IQ, Forbes, the Guinness Book of World Records, and more. Join her as she discusses marketing, team, business growth with other industry experts. And if you'd like to receive 10 ways to improve your marketing today, simply text the word resources to 38470. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Marketing and Mocktails Live with Manal. Thank you so much for being here. Cheers. Hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful Thursday. Today's episode. Oh, hi, Rhonda, and hi, Robin. Thank you for watching already. Thank you for being here. Today's episode is special for two reasons. One, I have a special raffle happening today, which means that this is something that I'm going to talk about. I've never done this before live, uh, but it is happening, and I'm going to talk about it. And then second, because tonight's guest is going to save us all money, and, well, that just makes me very, very happy. So um, first, the raffle. If some of you don't know, uh, Nancy Crossan and Linda Miles, the Linda Miles and the Nancy Crossan, they actually created a do-it-yourself consulting program. So this is like the Google of everything dental. You want questions on leadership? They got answers. You have questions on systems? They have answers. You have questions on treatment acceptance? They have answers. You have questions on how the dental assistants should be doing things? They have the answers. In fact, they worked together and created this program that I believe is worth over $30,000. And they are, yeah, and they're selling it for $2,000. But I'm involved in it. I'm helping them some with some of it. So as a thank you to me, because they're so generous and they're so kind, they have told me that I could raffle off one program to everybody who signed up with me in July. And so July was a busy month and we have some things going on here. So everybody who signed up with me in July, I hope you're watching. Uh, if you're watching, I see we have viewers coming in. If you're watching, tell us who you are, where you're watching from. All right, so I'm going to find a view. <laughs> and amazing, this person is gonna be very happy, whoever wins this. Let's see, let's see, let's see who's gonna win this. Let's see who's gonna win this. By the way, I made this bowl in a glass blowing class that my husband and I took. And the winner is, I love the, the winner is, oh, 1-800-DENTAL-CARE, 1-8-3-DENTAL-CARE, Dr. Angela Matthew, you won. You won the do-it-yourself consulting program. And this is super awesome because I literally finished uh, coaching her an hour ago. And when I told her that I will be doing this, I'll be announcing the winner live, she was, so excited and she was hoping the universe works with her because she just opened her practice a year ago so this is like amazing to her so dr angela you just won you won the do-it-yourself congratulations congratulations and now we have some nine viewers okay people who are watching tell us who you are where you're watching from and just here is the do-it-yourself dental consulting link uh please make sure you go there give a shout out to linda miles and nancy crossing consultants go check it out everybody check it out dentists check it out and now let's start the show. I have a special guest tonight. And like I said, he is going to help us save cash. And we all want to learn how to do that. But not only save cash, he's going to help us maximize the cash that we have. So it's not just the saving part, but it's how do we take the money we already have 
and make more on top of that. So I'm super, super excited. And here we are, Reese Harper. Hello, Reese. Hi, Manal. So good to see you again. So good. I, I don't think they see you just right now, but here we go. Do you, does everybody see Reese? If you I'm see Reese, say hello. Hi. Hello, everybody. Hope everybody's doing super well. Oh, we have comments. Hi, Rhonda. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Robert. Hi, Robin. Your comments are not once again showing up on my side of the wall here. So keep commenting on that side and I'll make sure that we get all your questions answered. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the comments. So Reese, tell us a little bit about you for the people who don't know you. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Manal. I think you do such a fun job on your show and I've always been a huge fan. Um, I My background is I've been working with dentists now to help them with financial decision-making for probably since 2003, basically. Mm -hmm. So I started in 2003 and I went kind of exclusively working with dentists probably in 2008. And so it's been, uh, I guess a little over 10 years now, just working with dentists. And, uh, I, that the, a lot of people ask me like, why did you work with dentists and why did you start there? Or why did you pick that? Uh, market or that niche and um, for me that's like been a big part of our success I guess is trying to find one person that you could help a great deal and dive really deep into their life I still can help a lot of other people like my family and friends and a lot of people that are asking me financial questions but I know so much about um, the decision making uh, that dentists go through inside of their practice and inside of their financial situation that it's it really helps us um, just make a bigger difference in their lives. So that's kind of a we, we just picked I picked one spot that I thought we could make the biggest difference. And that's where we just stayed. You know, so this is uh, I'm going to die right into it because I want to I really want to go through this episode and I want to get a lot out of it. Okay. So what and I've been in the dental field for some time, you know, I'm a hygienist, I work in the dental field, and then I do different fields as well. But what do you think, or where do you think is the biggest mistake that dentists do when it comes to their money? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing that they do that they prob that probably hurts most dentists is they take any kind of extra money that they have instead of focusing on how to make their practice larger or more profitable. They just, the thing they do is they get their money and they start paying down their student loans and they pay down their practice debt and they pay down their equipment debt really quickly. And what that does is um, it's not bad, right? I mean, that's still like a good thing over overall. Like that's a positive, at least it's not like uh, embezzlement or theft or <laughs> fraud or it's not a Ponzi scheme or something. So that's a good thing that it, at least it went to something tangible. But what ends up happening is they kind of focus on the debt so much uh, early in their career that they delay the time that they start um, thinking about things like the right staffing and the right marketing campaigns and the right consulting and the right advisors and being in a, a facility that's more productive or investing in their uh, they, they, their, their investment time horizon, like the when they start investing is usually really late in their career because they spend the first 10 or 12 years paying down all their debt. And then they start investing maybe in their late 40s. And there's just not a long enough time frame for their money to compound and grow. 
And so that's kind of a big, that's a big thing that just systemically causes dentists to retire later than they need to. Um, if they approached it in a more balanced way, where they were doing some investing in their practice, some debt reduction, and some investing personally in a nice mix, their net worth or their wealth would actually grow a lot faster. So what, so what you're saying is instead of focusing on paying back the debt which you have already, uh, focus on investing because if you invest younger, then obviously you're going to make more money because you have more time. Now, what would you say to, and this is just me going off because, you know, I'm married to a physician and um, we are debt free. We did just pay off his entire student loans in 18 months, which worked out. Yeah, which is. uh, I mean, it feels amazing when you did that, right? Well, it it feels insane. It feels insane because, you know, I think a lot of what's going on right now is that all these people are coming out of medical schools, dental schools and what's going on. Right. They are coming out with death which is like seven percent eight percent nine percent and they look at that number every and then your uh, payment changes as soon as you start making money if you have your payment plan repayment plan based on your income so that changes too so you're like all right do i start a family do i open a business do i pay back my loans do i buy a tesla (laughs) (laughs) you know what do i do but we are also learning now we're in our early 30s and we are also learning now that um, even though you know we are debt free, it's so important for us to invest. Like we are literally maximizing everything that we can and trying to invest because when we calculated how much money you put in and how much money you will get by a certain age, we were like, oh, we should be doing this in our twenties. Can't believe we wasted a decade. Well, you know, you you're still getting started pretty early. I think it probably helps um, that you're super successful and your husband's super successful. But if you take a Take an average, let's take an average person that graduates from dental school and let's say that they're hoping to earn in the $200,000 range on average, right? Maybe low to mid 200 would be good. Some associates are going to get out and make way less than that. And some mm-hmm. owners are going to make way more that have seasoned practices. But if, if you're coming out with $600,000 of student loan debt and your income is only 210000 and you try to live a, a life at all, like you want to take any vacations or do anything. Or eat out, or eat out once a month. <laughs> once a month. So what, you, what really needs to happen is most people have to, re, they have to, you have to look at your income and decide if it's high enough. Like in your situation, you didn't do anything wrong with paying off all your debt. That's a really positive thing. Was there an alternative that could have been a little less stressful or maybe a little bit higher growth, maybe, but I would still wouldn't be critical of someone paying off debt that early if it really meant they could eliminate a, a, all of their debt in a short period of time in, in by their early 30s or mid 30s. That's not a bad place to start, but mm-hmm. most people can only throw an extra 20 or $30,000 a year, maybe 40000 towards anything. Like that's what they've got. They've got three grand a month or 2,500 a month or 4,000 a month as a dentist of a free cash flow, like after their expenses, after their living. Right. And so if they've got a $500,000 student loan, that might take them like 11 or 12 years to pay that off. Right. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't get it to pay it off that they had. They still take them 10 years to pay it off. 
And what I would advise that person would just be, if, if your income is at the average or below average point of where dentists' incomes are at, let's say you're making 215,000 or 210, you should take that extra three or 4,000 a month and be, try to get your income to where you're at 275 or 280 or, or, or more so that you could really make a dent on uh, um, your loans faster, right? Just get your income to where it's above average so that you have more money to actually work with. Like too much financial planners, too many financial planners, they just ask you how much money you have and then they just take it and put it into investment accounts, right? Right. Rather than working with you to figure out, do you make enough? Like, was this even worth it? <laughs> like, right. You, was this what you were hoping? Because as you know, Manal, just a little bit of investment into marketing consulting goes like a long way. So I generally like to see people just get to a higher than average income before we start going at the debt and and i would like to see them build up cash like i don't mind seeing people save money in a conservative investment account making three or four percent a year just while they're waiting to get their income up higher so that they have it liquid and, and available to them you can always throw it at the debt but you, you know, i'm speaking to the average person out there your experience is probably above average in terms of success um, and in that case it probably wouldn't have mattered really if you had to pay down the debt or saved it and waited until you could write it. Oh, trust me. It. I mean, trust me. We. I remember the days. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and we're still. Was it a you, little bit stressful? Like we. I just want to do something fun. We, I. Was, did it ever feel that way ever? Like when you were younger, going. Um. Well, we didn't. So I no, we did try. So we did. We traveled a lot. You know, we did okay, travel yeah. internationally. We traveled a lot. But what happened was when my husband finished. When my husband finished years of years and years of uh, of schooling and came out, so by then I did have a company, right, where I was making money, some money, not like you know crazy amount. We're not talking millions here, but decent money, and uh, came out. But we were very, uh, our goals were the same. Our goals were, where do we want to be by the time we are thirty-five financially? Where do we want to be by the time we are forty financially? So we we picked things that we were doing based on that. You know we. Um, eating out is fine, but we don't tend to eat out that much. We would eat out only to like great restaurants we really want to try out or hanging out with friends. It wouldn't be like, you know, so where can we control our cost? So it wasn't more like an experience cost. Uh, it was more of, do I really need a fifth computer? Or do I really need a second iPad? Do I really need, a, you know, an iPhone? Like, you know, so things like that. Makes sense. Yes, that's one of the, I, I guess that's one of the challenges dentists would have. I would say other ones might be they hire um, financial professionals, like a financial advisors that sell them things. So like, that's not a really good advisor relationship. So if you hire a financial planner, but he only gets paid when you buy something from him uh, or her, that's not a great relationship. That's what's called a commission-based financial relationship. Mm -hmm. And that kind of financial advisor won't, tell you things like pay down your debt, right? Or put, uh, maybe you should put some money into your practice because you're, you're not paying them to tell you to do, they only get paid when you give them money and they buy insurance or investments or a 401k. So I don't like getting financial advice from people. Like I'm not gonna get financial advice from a 401k salesperson because they are only gonna tell me to set up a 401k. And yeah. 
I'm not going to get advice from a life insurance broker about how much life insurance I need because they're, they, they only get paid based on how much I buy. Right. And the bigger, right. policy, the more they get paid. So a, a, a good financial advisor is called a fee only fiduciary. It's a right. But the fiduciary, I mean, fidu uh, so, uh, okay. So the people who don't understand fiduciary, let's, can you tell them what that is? So, so a fiduciary would be someone that um, you have to pay directly um, some kind of a fee directly to that, that they only get paid from you. They don't get paid when they buy something or when you uh, invest money in a product. And so, a fee-only fiduciary has to do what's in your best interest uh, legally, and they're held to a higher legal standard where a commission-based broker can sell you um, any product and get paid a commission. To sing. But that being a lot, it used to be okay. I, I think 20 years ago, it was like the only option to get advice from people like that. But now things are changing so much. You can get good advice the right way and not have to worry about whether um, like a good financial advisor should be more like a therapist, a shrink, a good counselor, a friend, <laughs> and someone who knows a lot about taxes and law and investing and insurance. But they're like, they're a good, just they're, they're like an educator and um, they're not a salesperson. And, and so we try to, we, we really try to hire people with that kind of personality and we, have set our business up in a way that doesn't, you know, create that conflict. So I think that's important. I, I see too many, probably 80% or more of dentists are working with someone right now that really doesn't have the experience or the incentives to give them good advice. And, you know, I think that's so important, right? Because I have to tell you that we went through quite a bit of a challenge when trying to find decent advice. Mm. Um, okay. And I mean, we looked into fiduciaries because I think the laws changed recently after the last election where you do not no longer have to uh, proclaim or like there is a law changes. So before the, you had to fiduciary, now fiduciaries can make money based on sales and things like that. So laws have changed, things have changed so much recently, but um, it was very hard. And we did, and I remember this one person, he came back to us and we decided on one kind of policy. He came back and he's like, well, you should get the other one too. Just get both of them. And we were like, dude, what did we just do for the last three months? Yeah. We were just talking to you for the last few months trying to figure out the best way. So I do think that, and do you from- He was, that's because, um, I mean, anytime you're talking to a life insurance salesperson, like they get paid based on the type of policy you buy. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, that can be a dangerous, that can be an uncomfortable place to get advice from. It doesn't mean they're all bad, but it's like, if I go to a Ford dealership and I ask if a Chevy is a good car, they're not going to say like, yeah, it's better than the Ford. Right. And right. So I, I just think you should get advice from people you pay directly. So if I'm getting, if I'm going to give you advice about insurance, you're going to know how much it costs you for that time that we spend together, for example, and not, well, um, the, for the product yeah. that you buy. Well, and I mean, do you feel that that's kind of your go-to and that's kind of, because that's how you do your business without being so salesy and so pushy yeah. in front of dentists. Is that what's making you thrive in this industry? Yeah, I mean, it's a, we, we have a lot of, all of our clients are inbound. Like most financial advisors, if you've ever had a financial advisor in your life, they'll usually chase you down, right? They come find yeah. you and um, they'll call, they they sometimes will call a lot and 
because they make a lot of money when they sell you something right at the beginning. So the incentive for them to call and chase people down is really high. We have like all inbound sales. So people listen to our podcast, they come to our website, they read, they get educated, and then they call in and schedule appointments. That's pretty uncommon. Like we don't do outbound sales. Um, my marketing director is wanting us to because he says it'll it'll speed up our growth rate a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but like right now, we don't have to do outbound sales at all because we have so much inflow of um, people calling in. Because I think mo most people say it's because you only work with dentists and you're a fee only fiduciary, and we don't teach them that. They just know that. I think the market's getting educated. Um, the, the, like you said, this law changed last year to where it made it kind of a little more complicated a true fee only fiduciary though fee only is different than fee based right fee based, fee -based means they could do both and then you have commission based so you got three types of people you got commission based fee based and fee, fee only. only fee only has not ever changed it's just people can now kind of be in the middle and say sometimes i'll get paid a commission and sometimes i'll take a, a fee from the client you you don't want someone that's in the fee based world, either. right? Because then that's more of a selfish kind of yeah, you know. Like, we well, say, well, well, we have to make this amount of money this month. Which one am I gonna go yeah, towards? Yeah. What am I going to say? What am I gonna sell? This yeah. you know, it does become super salesy. My, my industry biggest problem with my industry is there's just a trust gap. Like people don't trust financial people. They just don't like. I know that of all the listeners today and people that are coming on, their biggest thing is like, as soon as you hear this. Maybe if you're, like, I don't, we'll see. Like this, is, this might be a little bit weird. Um, I don't know if I can trust that person, right? It's cause it's like, it's all Wolf of Wall Street. It's boiler room. It's like <laughs> all of this like sophisticated, like Wall Street stuff. And it, it's like, it's scary. And especially if they're always making money off of you and taking advantage of your lack of knowledge on a topic. And then I just feel like it's, we have a bad history from like 1950 to like, 2010 of like financial people just not doing right by uh, the public. So anyway. it's so true because it is very hard to trust. And like I said, we had to go through quite a bit. And um, you know, I am a I am a research junkie. I would research everything. If somebody tells me one thing, I would research because I just feel that knowledge is power, and I don't want to be taken advantage of, right? Yeah. So I did have to go through quite a few people just to even, and we didn't even really need much of a financial advising. It was just more of a, okay, we, these are our goals and we want to max, we want to reach our goals. Like there wasn't a, where do we invest? Where do we do this? Where do we do that? It's more like, okay, this is what we want to do. Yeah. And it was even, even that was hard to find. And then obviously life insurance and all that good stuff. Yeah. But, you know, coming back to, because uh, this is a marketing show, yeah. coming back to the marketing um, you did tell me earlier that your wife drives over an hour to see the dentist. Is that true? Reese, are you there? I think we lost you for a second. Hello? Yeah, you, sorry. You just got uh, bitmapped there for a minute on me. Oh, no worries. My wife uh, drives uh, clear across. She goes, It's a little bit over an hour to go to her dentist. Um, and it's really, it's been really interesting to see what draws, what has drawn her to that dentist and why she goes there. Um, I don't know what part of that you want me to talk about, but um, what were you thinking of, what made you, I guess, ask that question? Are you just curious about why she's going that far? 
Well, I'm curious because a lot of times, you know, when I'm talking to a lot of the dental industry, the question, well, nobody's going to come. People are not going to drive that much to see us. Everybody's insurance driven. Um, you know, there's a lot of negatives. There is a lot of uh, roadblocks. And some of the roadblocks I feel are put there by themselves because I have worked with practices. In fact, I used to be working with a practice. I still do there. You know, that's where I started. They're located in New Jersey. They have an orthodontic practice and they literally had a group of patients flying from London, from London to see them in New Jersey. Like people used to drive hours from states to come see them. And that's where I kind of grew up. That's where my, you know, that's where I started my career. So I always come and they, they accept, you know, less than three insurance and they're very minimal. They're very heavily fee-based. So I grew up in that and I always keep hearing people, uh, you know, sometimes coming up and saying, well, like, let's do this, let's do that. This is why we're going to have people choose you. This is what the reason, like, oh no, it's too, oh no, nobody's going to drive that long or no, nobody, it's so insurance-based. But your wife, you told me, so that I thought was super interesting that you said that. Why is he choosing to drive over an hour to a dentist? Well, I think her dentist has figured out exactly like who she is and he's she this is this is a, a female dentist it's a she's a gp she's really talented but she's marketing exactly to who my wife is and my wife has um a really strong preference for uh holistic dentistry natural materials the right kind of um hygiene program uh the the right kind of toothpaste i mean she's like got really strong preferences about products and really strong preferences about treatment. And this dentist is like, so on top of that market that this I've, I've seen this practice. Um, it's a someone that I've worked with for over 10 years. And I didn't even know that my wife was going to this dentist. Like, I didn't even know I was just like, <laughs> it's a client of ours. And I was just, you know, I was watching like the success rate of this client and just watching all her numbers always come in amazing and um, just really impressed with her marketing program. And then I finally started to like ask my wife one day, like where she's going and she starts telling me about this practice. And I'm just like, I think that's like been a practice we've worked with for like 10 years or something. And my wife's been going there for three years and I didn't even know. And she's driving like an hour and 20 minutes going like three or four times a year taking all of our kids there now and it's, and it's um it's crazy because she passes almost it's like i was looking i pulled it up on google maps and i like plotted all the dentists uh, um through my i, I have like a database of every dentist in the country and i plotted from our house to that practice and it was like 135 practices that she drives by to get to this one practice that she goes to and i'm just kind of like blown away by that still so you know it's to see like power of positioning you know and, and well it, it's it, power it, of positioning and power of targeting you know exactly who you're targeting right so the number one thing that even i do with all my workshops and my clients is i try to help them build their new patient avatar and it is like give them a name do they like holistic do they like certain products do they shop are they into gymnastics are they into an active lifestyle do they like to travel do they like golfing what do they like because if you are talking to that person directly, then they're going to choose to come to you because you relate, you fit in their world. Yeah. Um, you know? 
Totally the case. And I mean, that's been the success that we've had too, is I just, I know what it's like to have a back-to-back day with patients for a dentist. I know what financial pain they face. I know what interests most of our clients have. I know what type of lifestyle balance our dentist, I'm even, I'm not just narrow in dentistry, right? But I'm narrow within dentistry. I know that we fit best with aspiring associates that want to be practice owners, not just all associates, right? And Mm -hmm. we fit in well with owners that want a life balance, not owners that are hyper-focused on exit through a a multi-location DSO overnight, right? We, our our core practice, like we know who that customer is and that's made all the difference. And I I think most dentists don't actually get that far with their marketing, you know, and it's, um, they're leaving a lot of money on the table. If you borrow five or $600,000 to go to school, you and the only way it's worth it anymore is like by having a re, an above average career. You have to have an above average career because there is still a big segment in dentistry of people that have great careers, like amazing careers. The competitive like nature of dentistry still allows for people to absolutely have amazing lives and really impactful businesses and really a lot of financial success. And so all of that success is baked into the price of dental school. And if you get out of dental school and you just kind of have an average career, it's going to be hard. And so I, my advice to people about, hey, should I even go to dental school anymore? Is it worth it? Um, should I tell my kids to go to dental school? Like for me, it's, you, you, it really is only worth it anymore. It used to be worth it almost no matter what because the cost of school was like, you know, the equivalent of like, you know, maybe one year's annual income. Now cost of school is like four times annual income. And it's like the most, it's the highest ratio of school cost to annual income average of like any, at any, any career in the world. Like no career has that ratio of like school cost to annual income on average. You have to be an above average um, practice or associate. You have to be an above average associate. You have to be above average if you're going to um, be able to make it worth the financial cost. Otherwise, you're going to be part of the average statistic, which is if the average dentist is retiring at age 70 and the average American is retiring at age 62, but the average dentist income is still like four or five times what the average American makes. And so, you know, you just don't, it's sad to me that like after all that hard work and effort that people don't get even i mean retirement to me is not like the biggest i don't like that word i hate the word retirement (laughs) the worst word i think i saw i think i saw something you posted recently about it yeah it's like i just i like the idea of like like work work is optional i like that language um and because i i think that life should just be this awesome journey where you're always just things are getting better and you're always becoming financially more capable and stronger uh, but I don't like the idea of grinding until you die and grinding until you retire. Like it's just a negative kind of. Co- it, 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 I think it worked in the '60s and '70s and '80s, but like it's not working today. Like people aren't motivated by that. And but at the same time, like it is sad to see. Like if if you went to school longer and you made more and you took more risk, you want to have more financial success because of it. Um, you want there to be a payoff. And I think you know getting involved with people like you good consultants, good advisors, the right CPA, the right, it really, the right voices in your head are, are just critical if you want to have an above average career. 
You know, it goes down, every, all of that kind of goes down to be successful in any business. It's not just in the dental field, but having that team of people who are um, not only experts, but have experienced it, who know how it all works. I am a full believer in that. I have coaches galore, you know, uh, by myself. I have a personal trainer. I have, you know, a speaker coach. I have this, I have that, because I do believe that you need to surround yourself with people who are fantastic at what they're doing and to be able to gain that knowledge. I mean, that's the difference between running and walking to your goals. You know, the difference between uh, doing trial and error over and over again on your own to then finding out, hey, this has already been done. These were the results. What can we do? What can we replicate? What should we not replicate? Or how can we grow a business, right? And that's, I mean, that's a true way of, I think that's how many successful people will tell you that they have other successful people surrounding them. <laughs> and uh, that is why they become so successful. You know, something that I did see that I wanted to talk about, because I saw that you posted that, was um, earlier in an article that I read, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, you mentioned, do your kids know the value of a dollar? And I, I kind of thought that was interesting, because I know that we are in a multi-generational um, place right now, and it's very different than ever before because of the power of technology that we have in our hands, the way we communicate, the way we prioritize, the way we uh, decide on how to live life, work versus experience, you know, eight to five job versus sitting at home in my pajamas doing work. Um, what, were, what, what made you write that article? What was the, you know, mind process behind that? Well, a lot of the um, struggles that like right now, if, if you look at the average um, American, um, the, one of the most compelling statistics of, you know, financial statistics that I know is that, you know, if you, if you take all American spending on adult children, adult children's spending right now it, it, from parents, so parents essentially paying for food, housing, um, and living, um, and college expenses from 18 years old and older. It's like we spend five times per year the amount on adult children than we do on our personal savings. You know, it, it's like, uh, it's, it's billions and billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars more on adult children's just lifestyle. Uh, and that's been a growing trend in the last 10 years. So it's like, it's not a sustainable path, basically. If, if like, like adults cannot spend as much money on their adult children as they are spending right now, if they want to actually, um, we have to like save as, we have to save a, a little bit more than we're saving right now, like about three times, or we never really reach a place of financial independence without social security. So social security is the only thing that's really holding our country together because um, people never really accumulate any real wealth on average. Some of the, our listeners here today do, but the reason I bring, in, I bring that up is that it really, like today, like all the parents and the families that, like it, we used to live more in a rural mix. We had people living outside of the city. The cities were smaller and there were a lot more job availability and natural jobs available for children. Um, people on a farm or an agricultural environment had natural job opportunities and parents could put kids to work pretty easily because there was just natural work to be done. It wasn't like a, um, I don't know, it wasn't, they didn't have to create work. 
Mm-hmm. And now, you know, people like, I don't know um, where you're at today, but I'm in Salt Lake City and I live in a metro market. Um, it's, there's not like the same job availability for kids is just not there. So what we're trying to do, and we emailed out this to a lot of our clients during that podcast episode is we're creating like part of our social mission as a company is we're trying to like, we, we do volunteer a lot in local schools to help bring literacy to kids about money, but parents can actually create um, a lot of teaching in their home to their kids through very simple, very simple tasks that they delegate to them. For example, I kicked out a spreadsheet last week to a bunch of our clients that has a a series of like 110 like household financial jobs that have little steps associated with them that I've built, right? Like if you're gonna take out the trashes, you you can give them little steps. Um, And every time a kid does something in your house, well, we try to do, I've been testing this for like a year with my kids because I wasn't sure if it was going to work. I was just trying to test like <laughs> anything that I can get my kids to do, like on this list, I'm just putting them on an, uh, a simple hourly rate based on their age. So, you know, seven-year-old gets $4 an hour, um, where my 13-year-old, he's getting like, um, he's like at 10 bucks an hour now. And everything he does, he gets paid for, like everything. Now, some people would say like, that's crazy. You're just a rich guy paying your kids. And now the flip side of this is my kids have to pay for everything. So on the back side, they also have to pay for everything, right? So they have mm-hmm. to like pay for their cell phone and they have to pay for going out with their friends and they have to pay for their dining out and they have to pay for their seat ski pass and their bicycle repairs and their parts for their bike and their toys. And everything becomes like more real when kids start to have expenses earlier in life. And if adult parents who right now, essentially on average, I'm not saying you would ever do this, Manal, because I, I can tell you and your husband paid off your student loans in your early thirties. It's pretty like a pretty disciplined couple, but on average, most people are not, um, they're not having any real financial responsibility until their late thirties, <laughs> like on average. Not, right. not the average dentist, but like the average American, like 18 to 25 year old doesn't have any real financial consequences in their life. And it's because parents are just, it's just easier to just like pay for stuff than it is to try to teach them how to do anything and pay for stuff on their own. And there's a, people listening to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm still paying for my 40 year old son <laughs> and it's a burden. <laughs> And um, that's just happening like all over and it's getting worse. And so I'm concerned about that because I'm a parent in a metro market where my kids, I want them to learn like that money actually goes away and it isn't like easy and a job is valuable and you shouldn't be like super picky all the time about, you know, you don't like this job. Well, sometimes you don't have to like the job. You just have to like make money so you can like pay for a job you do like and that's part of like advancing in life. And, and so this spreadsheet that I put together for my kids, is an easy thing to do. Um, I can email it out to anyone who emails me. You can just send me an email at Reese at dentistadvisors.com and I'll kick it over to you and explain a couple of things. Cause it's a little tricky to understand, but I've found that um, when you teach kids about just giving your kids an allowance, doesn't do any good. And um, just giving your kids money and paying for things for them also doesn't really help them. So I pay my kids for studying their homework. I pay them for reading. 
Um, I pay them for chores around the house, all the lists they can pick from. I, I also pay them for practicing their instruments. Like a couple of my kids like play the guitar and stuff. I pay them for that. So anything productive they do, they get paid for, but then they pay for everything in their life too. And man, it's just made a huge difference. So I know that's a big tangent, but um, it's one you asked about and one I'm like super passionate about, so I hit it. No, it's such an important part to discuss because my husband and I were just talking about it the other day. We were trying to figure out so just like financial advisors are trying to understand this, we also probably have fired about six accountants in the last few years. If I know more accounting than you do and you're calling yourself accountant, there's a problem. There's a problem, right? So we have even gone through this entire process of uh, trying to find a decent accountant this year, this year, after years and years of having bad experiences, this year we finally found a decent accountant. and. The things that he told us and the way, you know, he was approaching uh, everything that we wanted to do. I was just so shocked that we as kids in high school are not taught this things. Why am I not taught how to balance my checkbook? Why am I not taught expenses? Why am I not taught how to run taxes? Why do I give a crap about learning all these other subjects yeah. in school that I don't use or I don't need to survive? But all these other things, I need to survive. And there is no mention of it. And it's such a complicated system that if you are able to pay people who have the knowledge, then you're going to do well because you're paying the people who have the knowledge. But what about the average Joe? Or what about the people who are under that, right? Yeah. Simply because you don't know, you can't take advantage of all those things because they are not clear. They are not taught to you. Yeah. Nor are they, you know, this is, so it really, I'm passionate, it really frustrates me. Like it frustrates me to a point where my husband and I were looking at the local schools here and saying, how can we petition? <laughs> and we don't have kids. We are like, how can we petition for the kids to like really learn about this stuff? Because this is ridiculous. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's starting, like we volunteer. Um, there's a program called Junior Achievement that's in Utah schools. And it's just, it's a re it's pretty unique, but there is some, if you look at juniorachievement.org, you can find um, a lot of resources that are being used in some public school districts across the country. It, and our firm, our employees, um, including myself, um, we dedicate a certain uh, percentage of our time to, to teach some of these. They're all, they're all volunteer classes. Um, and so we're, I feel like uh, junior achievements done an okay job, but again, these are like voluntary curriculum that certain school districts implement. It's not mandatory curriculum. Um, there's just too little financial education in our lives. And maybe um, I would say that about several subjects. I know it's just hard for administrators to pick what gets put into schools, but um, definitely not enough financial literacy. Um, and, and definitely we need to make some strides there. We're working on an application for mobile, uh, an Apple, mobile app that we think will help um a lot that's a big passion project for us so we'll have that like probably ready to prototype in about six months so we're excited to let that's awesome okay and everybody who's watching and listening this, none of this was ever discussed beforehand like all this stuff is just coming out because clearly we are both passionate about um all of these things and i just happened to read I, i'm on reese's mailing list so I happen to get all the emails and I happen to read the things and I, it's exciting to me. So I always read and I'm like, oh, I have to ask him this when he's on the show because this is so cool. But yes, how are you helping your kids 
And I mean, there are also so many things that you could do with the kids, like the 529. There are things that you could do while your kids are little and growing up that will help them financially in the future. Yeah. And again, these are some conversations you need to have with your, I guess, your financial advisor and say, how do I set this up properly? Like the difference, like, for example, like we just found out that. So my husband is, like I said, physician. I have a so we both now have S Corps. And, you know, it was, again, something that we did to help us. And we have the company set out of, of Florida and all these different things. But uh, we also I was just reading and I, it's, I also was thinking that you need to have a trust almost. But uh, for people to not come after you, because if you are, uh, you know, physician, I, physician obviously have very high a suing rate. You know, they get sued all the time, especially what my husband does. Um, so there are ways you have to protect it, and there are ways that you have to figure out not only how to maximize the dollar that you have, but how do you make sure that you are protecting yourself and make sure you're making wise decisions that help you now and in the future. The one thing that I did want to ask you, and I know we are running out of time, but I have so many questions for you. Um, <laughs> oh, hi, Linda Miles. Linda Miles says hi from Sydney. Thank you, Linda. You always join in all the way, all the way from Australia. Thank you. Um, you know, the one question I did have for you is, what about, so I know we talked about the young doctors, right? We were talking about how, you know, we want to make sure that they are starting to invest early on so that they're accumulating compound, they're accumulating in the future. What about the dentists who are trying to retire? What is some financial advice for them? Yeah. Well, a lot of times the, the most important thing that I could tell a dentist that's about to retire is we want to make sure we're selling our practice in the uh, right, uh, the right time, meaning we don't want to sell our practice when connect collections are starting to decline. We don't want to sell our practice if we're in a moment uh, where our profitability is down or where our overheads just increased or we don't want to have like a, we want to sell our practice in a time of strength and not in a time of weakness. Um, we also like, unfortunately, if you're at the stage of like selling your practice today, there's like, there's fewer things you can do to like really prepare than if you're a year out or two years out or three years out, you really need like good financial planning starts years before selling your practice. But I, I, it's really important for you to have a good handle on what your value of the practice really is so that we know how much money we're going to be getting when we do sell, because the amount of money that we get when we sell the practice will probably be spent as our first asset that we're going to spend. It's probably the first thing we're going to spend down is that cash we got from the sale because we want everything else that we started before to keep growing for long, longer. So the financial planning is you want to, you want to start things. You want to start investing first in things that you're going to sell first and you want to invest last in things you're going to sell last. So for example, if you buy, um, right when you start your practice, if you put a ton of money into real estate and you, and it, and it causes your practice to maybe struggle a little bit because you bought a building and did TIs and you invested in rental property but your practice never really got to its full maturity and your income was never quite as high as it should have been. That's the wrong order to invest in real estate, right? The practice should be getting your money first because you're going to sell that first real estate. You actually sell maybe never 
right? And mm -hmm. usually if you do sell it, you're selling it clear at the end. So after your practice, there's another, there's four buckets of money. There's practice value, the equity in your practice. Then there's like emergency funds and liquid investments, like nothing in a retirement account, just investments that are not tied up in retirement. Then you have retirement bucket of like 401ks and, you know, Roth IRAs and all that kind of stuff. And, and then you, you have your uh, real estate buckets. So those four buckets, real estate, retirement plans, liquid monies and then practice those are your four buckets and you should in my opinion invest in them in the following order practice gets money as the focus first then liquid gets money to build up your financial strength then retirement accounts start getting funded and then real estate takes a fourth position so i wouldn't be focused on buying a house or buying a building or expanding into rentals real early in my career i just kind of wait until i had done those other things because when you get out into retirement to sell everything, you're going to sell the practice first. Then you're going to start spending down the practice sale money. Then you're going to spend your liquid assets down, all the stuff that's not in retirement accounts. And you're going to let your retirement accounts keep going because you don't have to take money out of them until you're 70. And that's when the tax impact is the lowest. So that's when you'll start taking money out of your retirement. And then finally, at the end, you'll probably start taking money out of your real estate. And, and um, if you need it, right, if you need it, a lot of people don't want to put a debt on their house at retirement, they just want to keep this paid off piece of property forever. And so it but a lot of people don't start in that order, they don't think about it in that order. And so they end up investing in things at the wrong time and not giving their things long enough time to appreciate before they start spending them down. So that's kind of complicated, but it's like really critical planning that you don't just say, I kind of want to invest in some real estate. You have to say, was my income and my practice high enough? Have I really fully maximized what I want my practice value to be? Okay, if you have, then maybe we can move on to the next thing. Um, but you got to get things done in the right order because you're going to spend them down in the order that you start investing in, ideally. It makes perfect sense. You're just reverse engineering how your spending would work. Yeah. Yep. Would work, right? Yeah, and you want to start with those like in the right order because that's how you're going to them down i love it i love it so reverse engineer and like you said it's not something that you just kind of wake up and be like well next year we're going to sell the practice yeah because yeah. then what right yeah. what comes next yeah and if you know how much money you're going to get out of your practice that allows you to like decide how aggressive you can be with your other investments like if you know your practice is going to sell for six hundred thousand, and that's going to last you seven years of personal spending you can spend that down over seven years then your investment time frame is seven years longer for your other investment accounts. And, and a lot of people just don't think about it that way. They think like when I'm 62, that's when my retirement is. It's like, not really. You're gonna have like different times in retirement. We're gonna spend down different buckets of money. And so we have to like think about when is this bucket gonna get spent and then do our investment uh, strategy based on that date, uh, that time, right? And just. A lot of people just have everything invested towards age 62 or whenever they're going to retire. That's what they think about. It's like you're going to live for like 30 years after you retire. And so you can a lot of times you have a lot more investment growth you can get if you just plan a little bit more aggressively. Think think a little bit more um, specific about the years you're going to actually get money out because it will make all the difference in your returns. Well, I think, and the other issue that um, also that I'm seeing coming across more and more now is because 
it's it's a weird it's a weird transition i almost feel and you can tell me if you agree with it or not is we have the baby boomers who are retiring later you know they are going in their 70s and they are not retiring in their 60s right they are actually working longer but then we have the millennial generation which is now in their early 30s making their money they have money coming in now you know they're business owners doing things they have young families a lot of them are looking at their careers with retirement in mind like I want to retire by 40. I want to retire by 50. I want to retire here. I want to retire that. And they are very aggressively trying to retire while we have the older generation who's like, we're just going to keep working. <laughs> you know, we're 75. It's okay. I got five more years. I got six more years, you know? Yeah. 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 So it, it, it's a totally different demographic and a totally different, like there's, you've probably seen that, um, there's a lot of like almost cultish movements right now in in younger generations, the millennial crowd that I'm a millennial and the, there's a lot of like pressure on like people take it as a badge of honor, like when they're going to retire, like the day, like I retired at 40. You see like people saying I retired at 35. I retired when I'm like, you see that a lot. And um, for me, like it's, it, that's not a, def that's not like happiness for me. Like I, I like, I value work. I value financial security. It, it really, to me, like if you can retire at 35 and that's what you want is like to just not have, um, it, I just don't know, like I love my job and I think that's kind of where you have to kind of decide what, what your priority was when you went into your career. And a lot of people are retiring early because they like hate working um, on anything. Like they literally just want to be like, not responsible for anything and like sit on a beach. I have a friend that like moved to um, a really small Latin American country when he was like 31 years old and he lives on like $300 a month and he's like totally fine. He just never wants to come back and he just like, <laughs> you know, and, um, that's like what he's doing. And like, that's fine. Like that actually he's happy. At least he's happy now. He's probably 37 and he's been there for 15 years. And he's happy with it. He's happy with his life. That's so I guess, wanted, you know, right. Like more people are going, like there are a lot more people that want that life. Like that now. That I think, I think a lot of it also comes from how the things are changing so quickly and the career advancement and the technological advances, right? Like yeah. so many, unless you are a coder and you're okay with technology and you're comfortable with technology or unless, I mean, even the medical field, you know, the healthcare field in general, things are changing very, very quickly. And uh, positions are changing, job is changing, careers are changing, yeah. money is changing, how much money you used to be able to make compared to how much money you make. Even dentistry, like there are still patients, but it's how you run a business has changed. Totally. You know, because of all the demographic changes, financial changes, uh, everything that's happening. So yeah, but I guess what you're saying, you know, kind of conclude this is knowing your priorities on what your financial priorities are and then figuring out and working with um, the people who are the right advice <laughs> advisors for you, um, you know, the way to go and make sure that you have that plan in effect so that your life financially is smooth. And that's something that you can work with. Well, we are already reaching that hour mark, but Reese, any other closing remarks from you? No, I just want to say thanks to you for all that you're doing. I would encourage uh, everybody to, um, just never feel like too stressed out about financial stuff. It's kind of a topic that can feel overwhelming and a little boring sometimes and a little like depressing to have to address it. It's kind of like um, how I feel most mornings when I get up and have to work out. <laughs> and um, 
my but that's why i hired a personal trainer you said you hired a trainer like i i wrote one of my like most popular articles on our website right now is, is entitled um how i lost 30 pounds this year something like that or maybe it was 40 pounds like i can't remember <laughs> but it's something like that okay and and it basically just talks about how some things in life are just really hard to do without uh, an accountability partner and financial planning for most people it just won't get done the right way um, without an accountability partner for as your income grows and as your wealth increases um, you're you kind of unlock more financial jobs that just start showing up in your life new things you didn't have to worry about like you said you've got an asset protection trust and you've got to think about um, you know liability issues and personal liability and for dentists you know as their income and net worth grows they have those same problems and life keeps unlocking these new financial jobs that are like what's this i didn't have to deal with this before now i have to deal with this and and for the most part someone that's an accountability partner a buddy someone that i like i would i did not i couldn't have lost any weight at all or got i don't have the discipline to like do to like work out on my own like i only go because i know that i'm gonna let down my trainer and he's gonna be feeling like he's gonna text me and be like where are you and why did you sleep in and that's i just have admitted that i've owned that and like for the rest of my life i either have to have a personal trainer or i'm probably never gonna work out and, and that's okay like that's just the kind of like reality i like live in and most people if you don't hire a financial advisor that has a really good process and is really holding you accountable you just won't make as much financial progress because it's not fun easy or it's not fun or easy it's just like complicated and it it's like takes a lot of time so i just don't feel bad if you're behind just know that most of our clients most people they don't make progress and they unless they work with someone that they really like and and it, it's not something an app will fix like you can't technology your way out of this human problem it's a finance is an emotional behavioral like human psychology problem it's not like math it's like some of it is like in your own brain and and so having a friend and a buddy someone you could trust like it just makes all the difference so find someone that's a fee only fiduciary an independent advisor and um make sure they're fee only and that would be a good start I love that. And I'm just like you. I, I, I mean, I have a treadmill at home. I have weights at home. I have a home gym, Reese. Yeah. And I go and I pay money. Nice home gym. And I, I pay money to a, another gym and yeah. a personal trainer because it's, it's like what you're you said. We're, we're, we're the same with this because it's yeah. just at the end of the day, it just comes down to it. You know, and from um, just closing remarks at my end for the people who are. I recently did a talk for an entrepreneur. It was the first entrepreneur talk in Minnesota Dance Association where I was one of the keynotes. And a lot of the people there were the younger, you know, the millennial crowd coming out or just starting their businesses and their work. And the one thing that, you know, that I would like to share with you guys is you do have to, like Reese said, don't, it can be so overwhelming. It can be so crazy. It can be so ridiculous when you are trying to have your own practice, the money you have to spend, the money you need, you know, to hire people. And now people are, in a way, dependent on you. And you have all the stress factors and you're trying to make it work. It, it all kind of, here's the thing. People have done it before you. Yeah. 
So there is success and there are people also who failed before you too. So it's figuring out what has worked. And like I said, um, trial and error is great, but researching and having that support and having those mentors and surrounding yourself with people who have done it before is a huge help because you cannot Google wisdom. And that's the truth. You cannot Google wisdom. So as much as I'm a millennial and I have about eight technological devices in front of me right now and I Google everything, like I just Googled how to use, how to clean out my new Instapot you know, ring thing just yeah. a couple of minutes ago, it's hard, um, it's hard to do. Reality is you cannot Google wisdom. And if you want wisdom, but that is experience and people who have lived it, learned it, find those mentors, find that support and understand what they have been through and have and be open-minded so they share that with you don't have this i know it all or that's completely against what i think the more you close yourself the less you're going to know so the more you keep open-minded the more you're going to know and the more you're going to understand so i love that i'm a big i, I sit on an entrepreneurial board and one of the biggest topics right now is how humans combined with technology make for the best outcome. So outcomes, we kind of thought machine learning and artificial intelligence was going to like replace the human, but there's too much like it, it, computers do something really good. Like they organize data and they like analyze data really well, but they don't make decisions super well. They don't always make decisions that are wise or well-informed given all the context of the choices they have. And that's where people can help make the right decision for your context better than uh, machines can. And, and I feel like you got to use computers for what they're good for, but there's a lot of things where humans are just really good at them and consulting and coaching and um, personal training, financial advice, legal tax advice, all this advice stuff is really hard. Like you said, wisdom is just not. Well, it's like, I'm just saying, you know, only your really only your mom can make your mom soup. When you're sick and you you miss, I am I am in my early 30s. You know, I'm 33 years old. I just turned 33, and I still crave my mom's food. And nobody in the world, no one, not even Google, can give me that exact recipe because it just comes from mom's years of experience and cooking and training and everything else that mom did. So there is uh, the more we the more we gravitate towards technology the more we are also screaming to be social and in person you know we don't want to talk to a machine we don't want to call press one when we call we want to talk to you we don't so we are going through a uh, i am i'm not supposed to say this yet so i won't but maybe i will i don't know but let's just say there are things happening in my future where you're going to see a lot of talk on that topic coming up very very soon but reese if people want to reach out to you how do they do that well, first, I would encourage people to listen to the podcast. Uh, it's the Dentist Money Show. You can get it on Spotify or iTunes. You can go to our website and get it, dentistadvisors.com slash listen. Um, join our Facebook group. Um, it's the Dentist Advisors Discussion Group on Facebook. You'll be able to ask personalized questions there and get a lot of advice. And uh, just uh, check out our education library. There's tons of articles and CE courses and ADD-approved credit and Come to one of our events. We're hosting like 50 events over the next 12 months, almost one or two in every major metro market. Um, just come and join us at, at a, we call it fine food and financial faux pas. So we have like a really cool restaurant that we pick. 
um, and really great uh, Q and A session. It's all can I just around. come? Like, can I just come hang one day? Yeah, I'm just yeah. <laughs> any event, you just show up. We like spend more time picking the food out and the menus than anything else. <laughs> Oh, you'll love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. This was this was wonderful. And just for people, uh, Dr. Yes, Dr. Angie Matthew just replied. Yes, you did win. Dr. Matthew, you just won the do-it-yourself consulting package, the consulting program from uh, Nancy Crossing and Linda Miles. You just won. Out of all the people that signed up in July, you were the winner. So you really wish for the universe to do it, and it did it for you. So thank you so much. Everybody, this is your host, Manal Sampat. Don't forget, this show will be live on my wall. It's all going to, so going to be on YouTube. Go to, and also, marketingandmocktaleswithmanal.com. All the shows are there. And this is going to be on the podcast, Marketing and Manal, uh, as well. So download the podcast. And you can reach me easily. You know how to do that. Facebook it is. Thank you so much, and have a good night. Bye-bye.